change around my team, yeah, we off the leash. You can look us in the eyes and see we have peace. Black and gold, that's the colors when we go to war. When we step up on that field, you go hear my roar. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. We them tiger cats, we them, we them tiger cats. Yeah, nobody hitting harder. Better keep your guard up, cause with everything we drop, we can score it when we wanna. Welcome to Podsky Wee I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Mike, we got a ton of stuff to talk about today. I went down to Ticats practice earlier today as we recorded this on a Sunday. There's some stuff to talk there. We're going to do a deep dive on the last groups that we haven't covered yet. Linebackers, secondary, special teams. We got some Ticats roster moves, some, some changes to the CFL and TSN. But we're going to start with something a little fun. Uh, I guess it was brought to my attention Last week before we recorded the episode, someone asked us if we would do a protected list of Ticats players. This came out because of what's going on in the NHL with the Seattle Kraken and their expansion draft. Um, Because of that, every team in the NHL was allowed to protect a certain number of players. And uh, someone asked us, I I think someone from Regina, I I don't remember which reporter it was, was like, okay, if you had to do this for the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, who would you protect? And then someone tagged us in it saying, who would you protect? For the Thai Cats, and I thought, oh, this will be pretty fun. Um, but I felt like last week's show was a little jam packed, so I don't think there was any way to get it in there. So I figured we could save it for this week and start the show with it. Uh, there are some rules to this draft. Uh, we can protect 12 players total, and at least four of them have to be Canadian. Um, so, Mike, uh, to be honest with everyone at home listening, that we did not share our list with one another. We do not know who you I don't know who you picked. You don't know who I picked. Um, there could be some overlap. These two lists could be completely similar, and that would be kind of boring, but that's what happens when uh, you and I decide to do these things. I, I, I like us being able to react in real time to uh, to each other's predictions and lists and things like that when we do this, so I don't like to know in, in advance. So um, how, would you, how would you like to do this? Do you want to do all 12? Do you want to split it up offense and defense? Um, what, what would you think? What would you like to do here? I was thinking maybe we could do Canadians, Americans. Okay, that could, that, that could work. That can work. So you want to start with the Canadians then? Yeah, sure. All right. Uh, so we have to keep. See, I, when I so I, I'll be I'll be fully honest. I kept five Canadians on my roster. Um, I know it said four, but I always look at that as it said four of them must be Canadian, but not only four. Like if I wanted to keep twelve Canadians, I could get twelve Canadians. That's the way I looked at it. Um, and quite frankly, this team has a lot of good Canadians, so I, I felt that these guys were worth keeping. So I kept five Canadians just so people don't get angry at me in any sort of comment section about, like, well, you kept you were only supposed to keep four. I, I read it as you could keep more than four if you wanted, but you had to keep at least four. Is that how you read the, the rules as well? Yeah, and I went I went seven and five as well. Okay, so perfect. We're, we're on the same page here. All right, so let's start with the Canucks, Mike. Why don't you uh, why don't you just go with your with your Canadians there? All right, so first I got Adelike, the uh, speedy safety, Canadian safety. Uh, Sirocco on the offensive line, Revenberg on the offensive line, Sean Th- Thomas Erlington, our running back, and uh, Chris Van Zyl also on the offensive line. Oh, so we have four, 
five the same. I also went with uh, with Sean Thomas, Erlington, Chris Van Zyl, Brandon Revenberg, and Tunde Adelike. But my fifth Canadian was Teddy Laron. I just think with how the Ticats always play a lineman, uh, Canadian defensive lineman, he 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 was a must keep. I'm kind of curious. Why did you decide not to keep Teddy? And and I mean, I, I get so I I debated between Sirocco and Van Zyl. I went youth versus experience. Like Sirocco's probably going to be around a lot longer. Mm. But there's something about being able to play a Canadian at left, at right tackle, that is, that made Van Zyl much more attractive to me, at least. And then I also thought of, oh, the Ticats have a lot of young that maybe wouldn't also get picked up. Like, I don't think anyone's taken Jesse Gibbon or Coulter Woodmansey in a, in a situation like this. But uh, was it, what was the reason that you kept Teddy off the list? Because I thought he was, he was going to be a guarantee for yours. Well, Teddy, yeah, I love Teddy. Um... I mean, I may be contradicting myself a little bit with my Van Zyl pick, but it basically came down to age. Mm, okay. Um, I just think that, you know, he's he's getting up there a little bit, and he probably won't be with the team for a long stretch of period after this year. So um, that was my decision for uh, leaving Teddy off the list. That's the kind of the conundrum I had with Van Zyl and Sirocco. Um, I mean, you kept both of them, so it's, you didn't have that. Uh... And I just feel like Van Zyl we lose if we lost him um say that you know the expansion draft was this year we're going into this season if we lost him you know we would have two inexperienced tackles on the offensive line i just you know how much i'm into the offensive line and i just couldn't do that to the team fair enough you know what the other thing was where i was debating whether or not to keep chris van zyle is if there's an expansion draft and let's say hypothetically this is an expansion draft for the Atlantic Schooners. Uh, I know you hate talking about CFL expansion, but let's just say that's what this is for. Is Chris Van Zyl, if he gets selected, is he going to Moncton or Halifax to play? Or is he just going to say, no, nah, I'm retired? You know what I mean? Like, he's only ever played for the Argos and the Ticats. He's from close by in Welland. Like, he's not, he's not leaving this area to go play professional football at 38 years old. You know what I mean? Like, I just think... And that, so that made me go, oh, do I keep him or do I just, do I expose him knowing he's not going to go anyway? But then I thought because of how valuable he is that he was kind of a must keep. Yeah. And, you know, it's especially he wants to play in Ontario. We know that. But especially like for an expansion team that probably isn't going to make any noise. Yeah. I just, I just don't see him going all the way to the East Coast for that. Okay, so what about your Americans? You kept five Canucks. That means you got seven Americans on the roster that you're going to keep. Who were your seven? Because I'm going to admit, uh, I have a little bit of this surprise with mine, but I'm curious as yeah. to what seven you kept for. Yeah, this was this was tough. A lot of talented Americans on this team, obviously, but uh, I went with Braylon Addison uh, for obvious reasons. He's mm-hmm. just, you know, a tremendous receiver. Frankie Williams, because he, he's a good DB and a, and a really good returner. Dylan Wynn, because he's a menace in the middle. Simone Lawrence, because he's a leader on defense and, and still performing at a very um, high level. Uh, Dane Evans, because he's he's proven that he can, you know, be the quarterback, and he's five years younger than Simone, or five years younger than Jeremiah Mazzoli. Uh, Brandon Banks, uh, just because he's Brandon Banks, and Kerryl Brooks, because he's a he's a tremendous DB. Oh, so we do have a couple of differences here. Uh, you didn't keep Jagarit Davis. What was the thought process there? Age. Age? Age, yeah. Okay. Okay, so I kept Davis, uh, Wynn, and Lawrence. Uh, I also kept Addison and Banks. 
And here's where people this is this is where the controversy is going to come in. I kept both Mazzoli and Evans. Um, why why would I, I looked at Frankie Williams, you brought him up. I looked at Cario Brooks, you brought him up. I thought, ah, those guys are much more easily replaced than a, a starting caliber quarterback. And why would I hand an expansion franchise of a franchise quarterback when I don't have to? So I spent another year with this quarterback combo. And I know this people, because this was uh, in some other tweets that I was tagged, and this was uh, hard to decide. Everyone's everyone kind of like Mazzoli slash Evans, depending on who the Ticats start. And I was like, that's kind of a cop-out. But I, uh, I went ballsy, and I kept both. So uh, I know that that's not going to be a popular opinion because people are going to want you to pick one or the other. But I didn't have to. This is my list, and this is what I went with. Yeah, that's fair enough. And, you know, having two solid starting quarterbacks is never a, a bad thing unless there's a, you know, riff in the locker room. But we don't expect that to happen. So I can totally see why you'd want to keep these talented guys on this team. Yeah, it's uh... – this was a fun exercise. I got to be honest with you. It was uh, a lot harder than I thought. There are a lot of really good players in this team, but but when you get a chance to say, "Hey, you got to keep 12." Uh, I don't know. I think I think both of our lists are pretty good. You kept Cario Brooks. What was the thinking behind that though? Cuz he was one I did debate keeping, but it was like, I think this team can find guys at that position, but you uh, you just like yeah, him that much, eh? I do. I think he's been uh, tremendous for this secondary for, you know, however, however long he's played and I don't know. I just don't want to break up that secondary. I think that uh, the linebackers are a bit of a question. You know, obviously we have Simone Lawrence and uh, and Santos Knox came in too, but that strong side linebacker is a bit of a question. And I just wanted to keep, you know, I know I didn't keep Laurent, but uh, most of the defensive line together and most of the secondary together were for that continuity coming into 2021. Did you consider Siante Evans as one of your keepers? I did. I did. I just... He's a really good player too. It's there's a, there was some tough decisions that had to be made. You know, being a GM and all, it's 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 a it's a tough task. Yeah, mine was familiarity with the team. He hasn't played a game with the Ticats. We don't know how good he's going to be in this system. As good a player as he is, you know, breakup mm-hmm. champion, former All Star, stuff like that. So that's kind of why I like he was in contention, but that's why I left him off because we haven't seen what he can do with the Ticats. What if he's just not a fit for this scheme? We've seen that. How many times have we seen players uh, come into? Great players come into uh, into different teams. And just uh, I mean, Joe Montford is a prime example. Went from Hamilton to Toronto, and just it just didn't work with with the system that he was asked to play in in Toronto. Came back to Hamilton and resumed his Hall of Fame career. So sometimes you don't know if a guy is going to really mesh with what the team does. I think the team obviously thinks he will, but you you never really know. So until we can kind of see what Evans does, and and at the end of the season, this list could be completely different. You know what I mean? Like if if one of these two quarterbacks if if Dane Evans for example has taken the reins and he is the starting quarterback well then I'm not going to keep Jeremiah Mazzoli because that would just you, like you said Evans is 5 years younger so it makes sense to keep him and we don't know what yeah maybe Siante Evans comes in for for uh, a Teddy Laurent or you know what like this this is the fun kind of exercise but is you get to you know put your GM hat on but uh, I'm glad we don't have to worry about this I'm glad we don't have to worry about protecting players mm-hmm. in expansion draft cuz I don't want to lose any of these guys yeah just Never expand. Just nine teams for everybody. <laughs> and let, and let, let the players stay with the Ticats. Because uh, yes. moving on, I was able to attend Hamilton Ticats open practice, which took place earlier today on Sunday. And, uh, I mean, we'll get to what I saw in a moment, but I just have to say it was so damn nice being able to sit in the stadium and watch sports again. I know it was just a training camp session, and I know that a lot of people think watching football practice is boring, and that's not entirely 
silly to think like it, there, there were stretches during during the two and a half hours that I was there where it it did drag a little bit because you're watching guys stretch you're watching guys go through drills and it's not exactly you know hyper competitive like it is during a game there were some uh there were there were a lot actually I'm not sure if this is abnormal or normal or not because I've no one's been able to really attend any training camp sessions uh, this year, but uh, there there seemed to be a lot of eleven on eleven stuff. They did, I think, two or three different sessions where the whole group went together, and and that's when you it's it's really a lot of fun, and and that's where you can kind of glean a lot of of information too. So, I mean, it was I, I and I counted this out. It was six hundred and sixteen days since I last sat in a stadium and watched sports people do sports things. So. I was in absolute heaven. I know that uh, I texted you early this morning, uh, well before you woke up, to tell you uh, some stuff. And uh, you, you seemed a little jealous that I was able to be there. I wish you could have been with me because it, uh, it was nice to just sit in a stadium and watch football again. It really was. Yeah, I was a little jealous, i got to be honest. Uh, just to see the Ticats get on the field again, whether it be a practice or, or a full game or a scrimmage or whatever, is just uh, gives me a, a warm feeling inside. Uh, you know, you being there gives me a warm feeling inside because, you know, you being there kind of means that I was there because of the Podsky connection. Sure. So um, I'm just jacked to uh, to be able to talk football again with you. And, uh, you know, you getting live in person, giving us the some of the uh, the inside information, because it's tough to get some in- information on what's going on at camp for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Uh, you know, we don't have the best coverage that we used to, or we don't have coverage that we used to, um, you know, when Drew Edwards was on the you know, doing his thing, and, um, you know, I know Milton's still there, and but it's behind a paywall, so, um, yeah, it, it's great that you were there to take in some of that action. Well, first things first, Mike, this should make you feel all warm and fuzzy. I'm waiting in line, and uh, a guy who's already in the stadium is kind of standing congregating in the, in the communal area, looks over at me, and uh, screams Potsky Wee Wee at me. Um, <laughs> I, was, I was rocking the shirt, so, uh, I mean, it's definitely... Uh, Definitely gave me away, but uh, yeah, I was like, oh, I gave him the nod, and I thought that was pretty cool, and uh, then we all, you know, he went on his way before I even got in the stadium, because uh, old people in technology, they, you had to use uh, your cell phone to get into the stadium, and uh, there was a lot of elderly people there, because, uh, you know, as we've heard time and time again over the last 18 months, the CFL hasn't has an older fan base, but uh, yeah, so I was, I was standing in line for quite a bit after the gates opened, because there was this older lady in front of me who... Uh, could not get the tickets to work, which, uh, I mean, they, they were, everyone was patient and, it, you know, everyone was just so happy to be there that no one was really complaining, but right. it was just, uh, it's just one of those things. Right. And, uh, yeah. So with all the, you know, mushy, fluffy stuff out of the way, you want to, I'm going to just tell you what I saw today. Uh, yep. and then you, if you have any questions for me, if I don't cover anything, uh, you throw my way. All right. Um, the first thing is the quarterback battle. So one thing everyone wants to talk about, and I'll be honest with you, this is legit and this is tight. Um, both these guys were out there just slinging it. Both made some great throws. Both made some throws that they wish they had back. Uh, it started with Evans with the ones, but both guys got, got uh, snaps with the ones. So I wouldn't say that seeing Evans out with them first is any indication because Mazzoli got just as many reps with the first team offense as, as Dane Evans did, um, this is as close. Like when when we we've seen the interviews of Orlando Steinhauer saying this is a legitimate quarterback competition, and from what I saw today, that is absolutely one hundred percent true. This is these are two guys that are going toe to toe, throwing haymakers at each other, and I don't know, man. This is as tight as 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 it can be. I I it, I would 
lean very, very slightly to Jeremiah Mazzoli, but it would not shock me if either one of these guys was the starting quarterback on opening day. Um, Braylon Addison was out there in pads and was a full participant in practice. So we heard, I think it was last week we discussed, maybe it was the week before, but I think it was last week we discussed that he was not practicing, that whatever ailment he has, that seems to be in the rearview mirror. He was out there. Uh, I did not see Ted Laurent out there at all, um, but was told by people who were sitting on the other side of the stadium that they did see him on the sidelines kind of kind of working out. So I was on the side uh, opposite the benches, uh, out of the sun, which was nice, at least until the sun showed up around, uh, around 9, 30, 10, uh, which as a ginger, it's nice to kind of stay out of the sun for as long as you can. <laughs> Don't want to get I, – I mean, I did take sunscreen with me and had to apply it a couple of times, but uh, – it's it's even nice when when the shade's kind of there, but uh, yeah, I didn't see Teddy out there, but uh, apparently he was. There were a couple other injured players who uh, I don't know if this has been reported elsewhere, but uh, Tunde Adelike and Devere Posey were not in pads, so uh, there were some changes to these because those are two guys that are going to start for this team at some point, you would think. So there were some changes. Uh, Mike Daly was the 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 starting safety going with the ones on defense, and this and what was kind of a surprise for me. Jalen Marshall was filling in for DeBeer Posey, uh, and both guys looked, you know, again, it's training camp, it's practice, they're not going full, 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 but both guys looked pretty good as far as I was concerned. Offensive line, Mike, I know that that's been a, uh, something that you've wanted to touch on. We talked about it last week in full. Uh, we'll, we'll discuss the revelation that Chris Van Zyl is out with an injury right now that we, we kind of learned out of the blue middle of last week. But the offensive line right now, the starters, and these guys were the the, the five-man unit throughout the session when the starters were in there. Uh, it's Kay Okafor at right tackle, Jesse Gibbon at right guard, Darius Sirocco at center, uh, Big Rev, Brandon Revenberg at left guard, and Trevon Tate at left tackle. Um, I also have some stuff to talk about with the Sam linebacker positions and the kicker positions, but we're going to cover those in long form a little later, so I figured I'd save my comments till then. Um... Yeah, I think that's about it for, for kind of major things. Anything I didn't cover for you, Mike, that you'd like to have some, some questions answered that maybe uh, just did, I didn't keep in my brain? Uh, no, I think you. I think you pretty much covered everything. Considering we'll be we'll be talking about the the linebackers and the and the secondary and the kickers uh, later on in the show. But uh, apparently, Devere Posey, Adela Kay, Malik Irons, and Ted Laron have been uh, been injured for like you know. At least uh, a couple days. So, mm. so this is the this is not the first time Devere Posey and Adelike have been sitting out because I'm I'm reading a report from uh, Steve Milton from I think two days ago that said they were out that day as well. So um, he he expects uh, Devere Posey to be back in another week. Okay. So, so that's that's minor. I don't. He didn't mention anything about uh, Adelike or Malik Irons, but uh, I'm assuming those aren't serious injuries. So. So that's a good thing. But I yeah, think yeah. I saw Irons out there today for a bit in okay. pads with the with the offense. So Excellent. yeah, maybe his so was, his was just, just a like, short-term thing too. Yeah, it sounds like pretty much all the injuries are just minor, maybe minus Fanzile, but I don't think he will be out for a long period of time either. He might miss a couple regular season games, but uh, yeah, you you talking about that offensive line, you know, from the from the right tackle to the left tackle, it's. Uh, it seems a little lackluster without guys like uh, Van Zyl in there, but I won't get too worried about it. But I love the uh, the reporting on it because I love to hear about it. Yeah, it's it was like I didn't know Adelike was out. I had heard, I think someone did an interview and talked about how Daly was in the was was barking out orders for the 
for the defense, and I was like, well, Daly's back there. That's kind of weird. Like, but then I thought, well, maybe he's taking over for it. Like, you never know. You don't know what, what teams are thinking mm-hmm. back there. But um, he was out there. Adelike was out there, just not in pads. And he was, like, running on the sidelines and, and doing stuff. So it's not like it's not like he was completely absent. So I, whatever has kind of banged him up, I it doesn't feel to me, at least from seeing him out there today, that it's anything to kind of worry about long term. Um but yeah, that so that's kind of what I saw today. Uh, I think we got a you, you kind of touched on it. I kind of touched on it. The the Chris Van Zyl injury. Um, this one kind of came out of nowhere, did it not? It was I first saw it in uh, Haji's piece, uh, Insider Talk, that that Van Zyl was hurt, and they were, I think it mentioned something about Mason Bennett getting a lot of work, which uh, I can corroborate. He did get a lot of work today, not necessarily with the starting uh, defensive line, but he was out there for a fair bit. They they, they rotated the defensive line quite a bit between starters and backups. So it's kind of hard to get a read of who's definitely going to be out there. But I think we know who the starters are if everyone's healthy, right? Um, yeah. But yeah, we saw we saw hot, that that the thing about Bennett getting time at Van Zyl's hurt. And then we saw Steve Milton later corroborated the report and said that uh, Van Zyl's out with a thumb injury, could be out at least two more weeks. Seeing Van Zyl out there today, he did have some wrap. His, uh, I believe it was his right thumb was wrapped up. His hand and thumb were wrapped up. So... The, the thumb injury is, is definitely what yeah, it is. But, you know, um, the club, you know, the club could, could be do the advantage. club. Yeah, for sure. You do the club. I mean, for sure. it worked out for uh, uh, Randy Orton's dad there. In, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, uh, he, he rocked that thing for uh, yeah. many more years than he probably actually owned yes. Hartley too, if you don't remember. If you don't remember. Oh, yes. Very good. Yeah. Very good. Um, but uh, the two-week thing is, is what's got me concerned with Vince out because if you do a quick uh-huh. look at the calendar – you kind of wonder if that puts his availability for the week one game in Winnipeg kind of in doubt. So, um, like yeah, I said, we don't have to worry about Winnipeg. All right. Well, I, I, I like the confidence, but, uh, I will ask you this, Mike, how much did you throw up in your mouth when you saw Hodges initial report and then Milty's corroboration that Vince was heard? Cause you're the offensive line guy. Uh, I threw up a little bit. Um, you know, it's, it could be a lot worse though. You know, it's, it's not long term. You know, if he misses one, one or two games, that's okay. He's, uh, He's a vet. He can, uh, you know, let let him heal and then uh, bring him back. And I'm sure, like I said before, we we don't have to worry about Winnipeg. We're gonna run, walk right over them, and uh, and then hopefully he'll be back the next week uh, against Saskatchewan. So um, it is a little concerning, but as long as it's not long term, I'm okay. Well, and I also think I'd rather have these guys hurt to start the season than to end the season. Mm-hmm. It, you know what I mean? If he plays 12 yeah. games, but he plays the last 12 games instead of the first 12 games, I'm okay with that. So let him heal up. Let him get healthy. And, uh, I mean, he's Chris Van Zyl. He's going to be out there as soon as he can be out there. He's not going to try to miss any more time than he needs to. He's a tough SOB. He he is. And it's, you know, all those years of him in Toronto, if there's one guy that, like, because, you, you know, you see Argos and Ticats go back and forth between the two teams. This guy, he spent so long with the Argos, but... I don't hold that against him in the least anymore. He is a tie cat through and through, is he not? Mm-hmm. He is. It's like he never even played with the Argonauts. He yeah, just, we just fully accepted accepted him into uh, tie cats fandom, and uh, uh, I'm just I'm just glad he's here. He's a he's a tough guy and a great tackle, and he's a good uh, he's a good trash talker too. If you ever heard him trash talk, it's kind of like polite trash talk, but it's humorous. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah, you have to be a pretty darn good player for Ty Cats fans to ignore the fact that you spent yes. over a decade in double blue, and and he did that almost instantly. So 
yeah, wish him a speedy recovery. Can't wait to see him back on the field. Um, but there are some players we won't see back on the field because the Ticats did make some roster moves over this past week, releasing three American players, uh, place kicker Matthew White, receiver Nahari Crawford, and defensive back Tyree Robinson. Uh, the most interesting one to me of these three is White. Um, that there's so many receivers at Ticats camp. I could have spent that that talking about camp. I could have spent a number talking about the two Whites, uh, Jalen Marshall I, I touched on. But there, there are so many receivers. I didn't even bring up Cam Phillips, who mm. I didn't see a ton of today. But, I mean, the, the Ticats put out some video, and he was front and center on that. So you got to think he's got at least a good shot of making the squad. But you, you, they lose a kicker. They lose a receiver. They lose a DB. They got plenty of, of uh, receivers and DBs in camp. So to me, the kicker one is the most interesting because White was the first kicker the team signed after they let Larry Hyrulog out of his contract to try the NFL. And now we are left with a single American kicker in uh, Taylor Bertolette, uh, a global punter in Joel Whitford, and two Canadian kickers slash punters in Michael Domagala and Gabriel Ferraro. Um, we're going to go deep on the kickers later, so I don't want to spend too much time talking about it. I just think it's interesting now that we're kind of seeing the kicking competition get trimmed down a little bit. Uh, and I have some, uh, you know, as a tease for later in the episode, I have a little bit of insight on who I think could be at the forefront of that kicking competition based on what I saw at camp today. But any any comments from you, Mike, on these releases? No, the, the just like you, the only name that really jumps out is the is the kicker White, um, just because of the you know the open competition they have at training camp this year. Um, but uh, other than that, nothing really jumps off the page. All right, so before we get to the deep dives, we do have to talk about some CFL news. And uh, I guess more accurately, this would be CFL on TSN News as the league's official broadcaster, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, league's official broadcaster finally announced who would replace Chris Cuthbert in the announce booth. As we know, during COVID-19, Cuthbert left TSN to go work for Sportsnet so he could call NHL games and more specifically the Stanley Cup, which I believe, I mean, you watched the Stanley Cup finals this year because mm-hmm. of your Montreal Canadiens being in the finals. Cuthbert called the, the Cup final this year, did he not? Yes, correct. Well, that must be a dream come true. That's pretty cool for him. And he's still a guy who talks about the CFL. I remember when he left, you said he he would ignore the CFL, but he he's from what I've been told, I, I don't watch a lot of hockey. I, I won't, you know, I'll revise that. I don't watch any hockey, so I don't know. But apparently, he does sometimes when he does Canadian games. Might sprinkle in a little CFL. I, I heard, I saw a clip that uh, he brought up a Zach Caleros, Darvin Adams touchdown in a Winnipeg game mm. one time. So, right. Uh, Got to eat a little crow on that one, Mike. Still looks like Cuthbert's a fan yeah. of the CFL, which is nice. I guess, yeah. Cuthbert maybe has um, some you know, integrity. So well, integrity, and you know, he's so experienced in the in the business that maybe he has the respect that he can say, you know, what he wants. Not that people are ordered what to say on Sportsnet, but a lot of the time, that you know, if you come from TSN, you go to Sportsnet. The CFL sucks. If you come from Sportsnet to TSN, CFL's good. So, you know, that's what I was expecting, and uh, good on him for not doing that. All right. Uh, but anyway, with the news, Rod Smith, it looks like, will be the lead play-by-play guy for TSN now, leaving as host of the panel. And uh, in news that I'm sure made you super happy, Kate Burness, who uh, the last time we saw the CFL play was the host of Thursday Night Football, now takes over as the full-time panel host. So uh, what do you think? Rod Smith has done a little bit of play-by-play. I've enjoyed his play-by-play. I mean, this is kind of a safe pick, I think, by TSN, um, which I, I just wish TSN would start doing a little bit more interesting things with the CFL. The, their product, I think we talked about this before, feels a little stale with their presentation. But uh, Rod Smith is 
as knowledgeable Canadian football guy as there is at that network. And I love his voice. I love hearing him call games. So I think that's a good choice. Uh, what do you think of, of Roddy heading to the booth and Kate Burness taking over as a uh, panel host? Well, I like, I like Rod in the, in the booth. Um, you know, I think you could have went with someone different and someone new, you know, Rod's good. And I love him on sports center. love how he, you know, reads the sports news, you know, no joking around all that stuff. Uh, I think it's great. I think he's great. Um, but he doesn't bring a, a ton of excitement to the broadcast booth. You know, when he's calling the games, there's not like, you know, the Chris Cuthbert used to get really excited on a big play or a, a big touchdown. And I feel like he doesn't do that as much. But uh, listen, I can't I can't shit on him. You know, I can't shit on the move because he's just he's just so good at what he does. So um, I'm OK with it. The Capernest thing, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Miss um, Miss Burness, but uh, I know that I'm in the minority and that's fine. It's not going to turn me off completely but she just she just annoys me a little bit but that's okay um i'm sure it's a popular move with with most of most of the cfl fandom so i'm i'm down with it and uh you know it's good to get some some new faces in the broadcast booth i think uh, dustin nielsen will be doing more games and i enjoyed his play-by-play so a little shake-up is good um they could do more but uh this is this is a start yeah, uh, yeah. you mentioned Dustin Nielsen. He'll call some games. Farhan Logie will call some games. Rod Black will be back to call some games. And, I mean, Rod Black gets hated on by CFL fans, but you want to talk about a guy that gets excited about calling games. Yeah. Yeah. Guy, 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 he puts some excitement in his voice when calls. big plays happen. Yeah, he's had some good calls. It's just the thing with him, he just he's just so repetitive. As, yeah, you for know, sure. You know how. You know, yeah. you watch pretty much every game. Luke so. Tasker is um, the son of, of Steve Tasker. Yeah, right. It, it is. Yes. Um, um but I don't hate him as much as, uh, you know, a lot of people do. Yeah, there were some other changes. Jim Barker is going to join the panel. Marshall Ferguson is being added as a play-by-play voice. Uh, Dwayne Ford and Glenn Suter will continue in their roles as color analysts. Matt Dunnigan is going to do some of that as well. And the the panel, outside of, of adding Barker, is kind of the same. Dunnigan, Milt Stiegel, Davis Sanchez. Um, I'm actually really excited for the addition of Barker, quite honestly. I've always liked the TSN panel when they have... Like, for a while there, it was, like, all offensive guys and all, like, it was it was Schultz, you know, rest in peace, uh, Dunnigan and, like, Henry Burris or Milton. It's, like, it was all offensive guys. Then when they added, I think it was Paul LaPolice at first before he went back into coaching, I thought the stuff that he, the perspectives he bought or he brought and the things that, that, that he would say, I, I thought that was great. Then I think they went with Mike Benavides, and then they've kind of lacked that in the last couple of years. I'm kind of excited to see a, a former GM and coach in Barker get added to the panel. I think it's going to add something something mm-hmm. uh, a little different than, than we're used to seeing. Instead of just being offense. That's why I like David Sanchez being on there too, a guy that can kind of balance the offense. I think I think the best panels are always, yeah, you're going to get a quarterback. Yeah, get a receiver slash running back or whatever. But but get some get some front office personnel, get some defensive guys on there. I think it can lead to more nuanced conversations during these things instead of just focusing on the quarterback, which they focus on a lot, or just focusing on the offense. So, yeah, Barker's addition is the one that I'm really most excited to see. Yeah, and I think he had some work um, the last season. I think he he was on the panel for a, at least a couple of games, and I remember liking what I what I saw from him. So, yeah, Jim Barker is a good addition. You know, we didn't like him for the longest time when he's with the the Argonauts, but uh, then he came to the Ticats for a little bit, and now he's on the panel. So, uh, I'm excited to see you know how he does in a full time role on the panel. Yeah, TSN also announced a big night of CFL coverage on August third with three. Specials airing on the network. The top 50 player list will air at 8 p.m. Eastern, followed by a fantasy show that I don't really quite understand why they do at 8.30. 
And it all ends with CFL uh, on TSN's season preview show at 9 p.m. So preview shows, top 50 player list, Mike, the season is here, is it not? It is. That's uh, that's what always kicks it off, basically, you know, a couple of days before we start going. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, always fun to watch those shows, even if, you know, they're not, you know, greatly entertaining. They, they mean that the season is just days away. Well, and I think it'll be helpful, too, this season with stuff like that, um, especially with the preview show, to kind of get you refamiliarized with who is where and what around the league. Because it's been, it's been a long time since we've seen these teams put together, and uh, it's, it's been hard to keep up on, on everything because of the you know, COVID protocols at training camp. Yep. We're not getting as much information. This will, be, this, this, this will be a nice sort of palate cleanser or you know refresh for us to uh, kind of get ourselves familiar with what's going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're, I'm, I feel like we're plugged in decently enough with the Thai Cats, but uh, I mean, this will help for the other eight teams to uh, kind of figure out what's going on there and uh, be, be able to make our own sort of more educated opinions on why we think the Thai Cats are going to go 14-0 and win it all and score 100 points every game and not never mm-hmm. a point. And I will say this, uh, I believe uh, TSN Edge is like a, a betting, uh, I'm not sure if it's a betting Twitter handle or it's a, or it's a show or, or what they're doing, but Apparently, they're going to be doing, uh, you know, advanced stats on the CFL this year. So um, there'll be more statistical stuff to look at if uh, if they follow through with this, which uh, I'm expecting they will. But uh, a little thumbs up to for that. You know, we don't give thumbs up to TSN broadcast all the time, but uh, that's that's a step in the right direction. I agree. I, I agree. I agree. The more <laughs> information we can get. The, the better informed the populace is, the better informed yep. we are, the better we can relay that information to other people. I, I, you can't give me enough information on the CFL for my liking, to be honest with you. No, and apparently they're going to be talking more about, you know, betting stuff. Makes sense. On the panel, like lines. And uh, yeah, it completely makes sense. Like, this is what they're trying to do now. So they got incorporated into their, you know, their, their main show. And hopefully there's more pregame stuff. And, you know, because that adds a lot of content, right? If you'd be able to talk about the line or, uh, about uh, single, you know, player bets and stuff like that. That adds a lot of content to the show, so there'll be uh, more stuff to talk about. Yeah, and it could get some of those last-minute gambling tips in there and get mm-hmm. some last-minute money put on some games, which could, uh, if the league and the teams do this properly, could could help expand their coffers as well. And we're talking about a much more uh, profitable, uh, stable CFL, which would be nice for everyone. Um, so that's it for the news, Mike, but we are now going to head into – the final installment of our positional deep dives, and today we are talking about linebackers, defensive backs, and the special teams. First up, though, Mike, we are going to talk about the linebackers. There is a lot of talent here, and of course, we have to start off by talking about the reigning, defending, undisputed best defensive player in the East Division, Mr. Simone Lawrence, who is back for his eighth season in black and gold. And, I mean, we can go through his stats and, and his pedigree and what he means to the team. But the, the one thing that I think of when I think of Simone Lawrence, and uh, tell me if you agree with this, is there anyone on this team more synonymous with Tiger Cat football than he is right now? Um, he is the, the face of the frame. I know, I know there's, you know, we got Mazzoli and Brandon Banks and all that, but Hamilton fans love defense. And mm-hmm. he just feels like he's the face of the franchise for this sort of era of Tiger Cat's football, no? Absolutely, he's loved by the fan base, hated by everyone else in the league. Which um, makes us love him more. Exactly. That's just so Hamilton, so Ty Cats. Um, he's a leader. Uh, he's a trash talker. He's just Hamilton through and through. He's definitely 
he's definitely the face on the defensive side at least of this generation of Ticat football. Yeah, absolutely. If you were to do a Mount Rushmore of the 2010s Ticats era, mm-hmm. Simone Lawrence yeah. is on that Mount Rushmore. Yeah. And I mean, with the way he's playing, he could end up on the Ticats Mount Rushmore. You know, like he's he's already the team's all-time leading tackler. He's he's basically a Grey Cup and or Defensive Player of the Year award away from being one of the all-time great players to ever play on this on, on a Ticats defense. Yeah, absolutely. I think that one day he will be up on the uh, you know the wall of the names at oh, uh, Sports Field. One hundred percent. No question. There's a, there's a couple guys from from this generation that will be up there one day, but Simone's probably, if not at the top of the list, in the top three. Right. So outside of Simone, however, I, I mean, I could talk about Simone all day long, but there, we do these deep dives to kind of get into the nitty-gritty of guys that people don't necessarily talk about. So outside of him, there are uh, a few question marks, I think, on, on, this, on this linebacking group. Um, the team lost Justin Tuggle who was their middle linebacker in 2019. Uh, He was eventually replaced by Larry Dean for the 2020 season, but after that season was canceled, Dean once again entered free agency and ended up signing with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. He has obviously since suffered a torn Achilles and will not play this year. Uh, We talked about that a couple episodes ago. We wish him a speedy recovery. But the Ticats now turn to former Winnipeg Blue Bomber and Edmonton Elk, Jovan Santos-Knox, to man the middle. Uh, and in researching Santos Knox, I found out that injuries kind of derailed his time in Edmonton. He spent one season in Edmonton, and he played in just three games at the end of the season. He could not get healthy. He was injured late in the Bombers season in 2018. I believe it was the Western Final. Maybe the West Semifinal. I don't remember. But whatever playoff game, he got hurt in the last game the Bombers played in 2018. Um, after having a tremendous season in the regular season, finishing with 82 tackles and six sacks in 18 games, and then I guess he was dealing with that injury and never really fully recovered until late in the season with Edmonton. Uh, so he just played in the three regular season games and their two playoff games, obviously. Um, but the questions that arise with Santos Knox, however, is that he has spent the majority of his career at the will linebacker spot that Simone Lawrence plays, and now he's being asked to man the middle for the first time in, in his career. And based on what I saw at training camp, and I'm probably going to say that a lot today because it's it's going to be a lot of basis for for what we're going to cover in these deep dives because I actually had a chance to see it with my own two eyes. Uh, he was the starting middle linebacker, so he's definitely being given every opportunity to win that role. Um, are you confident, Mike, that he can make the switch successfully? Because it's kind of a big ask moving a guy from one linebacking spot to the next. I remember uh, Jamal Johnson was asked to do that move from from Will to Mike and uh, – mostly so Simone Lawrence could get on the, on the field. And, and Jamal Johnson was a tremendous linebacker for the Ticats in the late uh, 2000s, early 2010s, and uh, didn't really make the, the switch all that, all that well. Wasn't kind of, was more suited for the Will role than the Mike role. So what do you think? Do you think Jovan Santos-Knox can make the switch? I'm going to, I have confidence in him that I think he, I think he will be able to do that. Um, you know, like you mentioned, the, uh, he had, uh, you know, his his career was on an upward trajectory until the the injuries, and um, you know he's a bigger dude for a linebacker in the CFL. He's one of the biggest linebackers on the squad right now, besides uh, Bailey, who's the same height but a little bit heavier. So uh, he's six two, two thirty three, which you know usually you have to be. I mean, you don't have to be, but uh, you know, in that middle spot, uh, you like to be a little bit bigger so you can stuff the run a little bit more, but. Yeah, I think I think he's I think he's a versatile player, and I think he will be able to make that move, um, and uh, he will patrol the middle well. I'm hoping so, anyways. I mean, Justin Tuggle wasn't a 
career long middle good. linebacker either. And he, I think he played pretty well for the, for in Mark Washington's defense in 2019. So I, mm-hmm. I can see maybe Santos knocks a little more athletic and that's what they're looking for in, in their mics. Uh, we'll have to wait and see though. Um, the biggest question mark though, with the team at linebacker is the same one we've had almost every year since Eric Harris went to the NFL. And that's, who's going to play Sam, and I teased it before, and I, we can actually talk intelligently about this instead of kind of just throwing names out there wondering who's going to be there because I saw with my own two eyes today that this is a three-horse race between Cameron Kelly, Desmond Lawrence, and Brad Stewart Jr., three names that people probably do not recognize at all for the Sam linebacking position. Uh, Stewart was out there with the A-group defense first, but all three guys got time with the group that you consider the week one starters. So this is going to be a close call, and I'm not really sure who is going to come into week one and and be the starter. Kelly has 14 games of NFL experience playing with the Pittsburgh Steelers in 2019. He had 19 tackles and an interception. Uh, Stewart is a raw rookie who spent the last four seasons with the Florida Gators, where he played 42 games over those four seasons, and he had 124 tackles, four tackles for a loss, one and a half sacks, three picks, which one he took to the house, and five pass breakups. And Desmond Lawrence is a North Carolina product who spent time with the Detroit Lions in 2017 and 2018 and was in both the AAF and XFL with the Atlanta Legends and DC Defenders, respectively. So there's experience here. You got Kelly, who has NFL experience. You got Lawrence, who has AAF and XFL experience and a little bit of NFL experience. And then you got Stewart, who played in the SEC with Florida, which is that's a big time school there. So these are three ballers out there, uh, and all three guys looked. Lawrence uh, had a had a nice interception in in practice today, so that could be something that, that kind of separates him from the pack. But uh, I'm not sure if I would place any money on which one of these guys is going to get it. But these these are your three guys that I think are, are in line for the Sam linebacking spot. All right, I was looking for them as the linebackers, but they're all listed as they're all listed DBs. DBs. So that's, that's why I couldn't find them. There we go. There you go. Well, yeah, interesting. Very interesting. Three three horse race. Uh, you know, I don't really have anything to add to it because I didn't. You unfortunately see I don't see know. Them. Yeah, I don't know any of these players. You know, never really seen them play, but uh, yeah, it's, it's something to look at. You know, it's going to be interesting to see which one of those guys is the starter come come opening day because we all know that uh, that's a, an important position on the defensive side of the ball, and uh, we're going to have to find someone to uh, just cover some guys and make some plays. Well, and that's you can talk about this intelligently because you're a longtime CFL fan. How do you feel about it being a CFL newcomer, a guy, one of these three guys that has never played a single real snap mm-hmm. in the CFL? How does it make you feel that, that it, they're likely going to be the opening day Sam linebacker? We hear about how Sam is... It, I mean, the reason they're defensive, they're, these guys are all listed as DBs, is same as kind of the sixth defensive back. You know, yeah. it's, it's like a defensive back slash linebacker. And it's, it's a position that you don't see in football in the United States. So it's, it's definitely something different. So these guys, do you, do you have trepidation? Are you worried? Or do you just trust this coaching staff that they go, these are the three best guys. They're going to battle it out. We're going to get the best one on the field for week one. Or are you a little... I wish it was a more veteran presence in this position. Well, yeah, I, w- I wish I wish we had a veteran guy in that position because, you know, it, it, it's tough out there in a position you don't really know. You know, you played American football your whole life. You come in. I know it's just like kind of like a DB you have to cover, but it's uh, there's some some different things on the field that you have to pick up that you have to learn. So, um, 
Listen, I trust this coaching staff. I think they they'll put the best three players, you know, in that spot, and they'll decide which one um, comes out on top. And and you know, it might take a little bit of time for them to, you know, figure out the position. But uh, you know, once we get rolling, I think that they will pick the right guy, and uh, he'll do a good job. So there's some depth here as well. Uh, a couple of players that stick out to me, uh, both from what I saw on the field and because of what they've done with the team in the past, is uh, Chris Fry Jr. and Jeff Allison. Uh, Fry was with the team in 2019, but suffered an injury in July of that year and missed the rest of the season. Uh, he was a non-participant in practice today that I saw. So uh, I don't know if he's still nursing the injuries coming back from or if there's something else nagging with him. Um, but he has a solid college pedigree. He played four years at the at uh, Michigan State University, had 193 tackles, 13 and a half tackles for loss, and seven sacks in 52 games. Uh, he played some special teams with the Cats in 2019. I believe it was a special teams play where he ended up hurting himself. Um, and I think this is a guy, if he gets himself healthy, could be in line for some time on defense, especially if Santos Knox struggles. And then you have Allison, who was a standout at Fresno State in three seasons with the Bulldogs, 279 tackles in three seasons, which is incredible for a college linebacker. 11 and a half tackles for a loss and two and a half sacks. He was uh, first team Mountain West in 17 and 18 and was the Mountain West Defensive Player of the Year in 2018. Uh, we talked about the, uh, what was it, defensive line that had a couple of, of all-conference players of the year mm-hmm. on the defensive side last week. And I think the thing to remember about Allison, and this is worth remembering, is that Orlando Steinhauer, the current Ticats head coach, obviously, was the defensive coordinator at Fresno State in 2017. So you got to think that Allison is familiar with Steinhauer, obviously. Steinhauer is familiar with him. And maybe it was Steinhauer who helped lure him to Canada and must be, maybe was a kind of a big advocate for bringing him in. So you see a guy get almost 300 tackles in three seasons of college football where they don't play 16-game seasons or 18-game seasons, especially for a school like Fresno State. They might have played you know, 13, 14 games most. So uh, these, these are two guys. Uh, Allison's the one that kind of is like, those are some tremendous numbers. And again, another guy who was a conference player of the year on the defensive side of the ball who is trying to crack the, this roster. This is this is some talented players right here. Yeah, Chris Frey Jr. was a guy that I thought might be, you know, up for a starter's role on this yep. defense this year. Um, but like you said, he's he's had some injury problems, so that might have hampered his, his hopes. But uh yeah, Jeff Allison, you mentioned all his, his his pedigree in college, which is very impressive, and the Orlando Steinar connection, you know, that's got to be a good thing for him. So maybe he sticks around on this roster, you know, not in a starting position, but, uh, you know, in a backup and tries to uh, move his way up the roster and maybe get his, his feet down on some special teams play. For sure. Uh, the Ticats have two other American linebackers attempting to make this roster, Patrick Nelson, and Kyle Wilson. Nelson split his time in college between Illinois and SMU, spending two seasons at both schools. He uh, His combined stats are pretty impressive. 286 tackles, 28.5 tackles for loss, 14.5 sacks. Uh, he also set the SMU single-season record for sacks with 12 in 2019. Wilson spent two years at Arkansas State with uh, in two seasons, recording some impressive numbers as well. 172 tackles, 24 tackles for loss, four sacks, and a pick in just 25 games. Uh, he bounced around the NFL a little bit, uh, spending time on the Eagles practice roster before playing with the Los Angeles Chargers and playing in three regular season games and two playoff games for that team in 2018. 
you, you, you list these guys' accolades from college and, and what they've done if they've ever given a chance in the pros, and it's like, holy hell, is there a lot of talent on this roster and mm-hmm. guys that won't make this team that are really damn good football players. Yeah, guys will be, you know, for lack of a better term, out on the street not playing football, and they're, they were college all, all-stars. So it just shows the amount of talent that, I know I said this last week, but mm-hmm. it shows the amount of talent that, are on CFL rosters, but the amount of talent that doesn't make CFL rosters as well, that are just, uh, you know, not playing football anymore because they, you know, didn't get the chance or, or didn't meet the standards of a CFL team. So, uh, yeah, the, the amount of talent that has been brought into camp this year is pretty damn impressive. Yeah, and we talked about it last week, too, the old iron sharpens iron adage. The, you mm-hmm. bring in talented players, whether they're new or they're veterans from another team, and it just make it just raises the level of everybody else. And uh, I, I you, we we don't we don't talk about these guys when they come into the league. Like when the Ticats sign them, we'll we'll do like a cursory kind of talk about them. But what I've enjoyed most about doing these deep dives is kind of getting to know who these players are on the field. And it's I, I it's just so impressive. Like I I don't know of any other way to put it. Just how impressive some of these guys' resumes are and. Like you said, the, the talent level in the CFL is as high as it's ever been, Canadian and American. And uh, look, I, I'm not going to get into the the whole we gotta you know people don't take the CFL seriously and yada yada yada. It, the idea that that people think that the CFL talent is just is not good is is such a boneheaded opinion to have. Like when you're talking about again, I feel like we're treading on familiar waters here, but. Conference players of the years, college all-stars, guys who put up ridiculous numbers that don't make CFL rosters. The, the, the talent level in this league is it, it's second to one. Normally the saying is second to one, but it's second to one. And this is the second best professional football league in the world. And in a lot of areas, there's guys, there's guys on CFL rosters that could play in the NFL. We, we know this, uh, but just... Man, oh man, some of these guys, it's like, you got to feel for them. They, they go to these big schools. We, we've mentioned the Florida Gators. We've mentioned, you know, the Illinois Fighting Illini. Like, these are major Division One programs, and some of these guys are not going to make the roster. That is just incredible to me. Yeah, yeah, it is incredible. It's like, uh, you know, when when the, a lot of these players get signed, you know, we look at those names, we're like, oh, we don't, we don't, we don't know those names because, we you know, you have to follow college football quite closely to know some of these names, but then... Once you dig into the names and look look at what their pedigree is, you go, damn, that's pretty damn impressive. And a lot of these guys could be stars in this league uh, uh, and might get cut. So, you know, we might see some of these guys get cut and go to a team like Ottawa, who is just uh, not, you know, filled to the brim with talent like the Tiger Cats are. For sure. All right, moving on, it is now time to discuss the secondary. And the one thing on everyone's mind that they want us to talk about is who will replace Delvin Bro as the team's boundary corner. This is an impossible task for whoever eventually gets this spot since Bro is, I, I believe, a future Canadian Football Hall of Famer and was the best lockdown corner in the league every year he played. But this is another time where I get to say, based on what I saw at training camp earlier today, Mike, this should come as no surprise. The man, the first man up, is going to be Jamal Roll. He took every single A-group rep that I saw and I would be absolutely stunned if he wasn't the week one starter in Bro's old position. So uh, from what I saw at camp today, Mike, and uh, if you want to talk about the starters as a whole, we can do that. If you want to talk about role, you can do that as well. But uh, we talked about Tunde Adelike being out. Mike Daly was in his spot. 
and the other the others in the secondary were holdovers. It was Rolla at bro spot. It was Cariel Brooks uh, right beside him, and on the other side it was Siante Evans at the the wide side halfback spot and Frankie Williams at the wide side corner spot. So this uh, this looks like a pretty decent, if not exceptional, secondary, especially mm-hmm. if a guy like Roll can really if he's if he's just an adequate replacement for Bro. I think the Ticats could have one of the best secondaries in the league this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I look at all those names, and there's not a one, there's not a dud in the bunch. You know? Nope. It's, uh, I'm very confident, even with the losses of, you know, since the last time the Tigers played, Delvin Bro and Richard Leonard are losses, but uh, the guys coming in to replace them, I mean, you're not going to replace Bro, but I, th- I think that Jamal Roll, you know, he's been with this team for a bit. Um, he's performed well when he was in there. So I have I have no worries about him uh, replacing Bro. Like, we're not going to get the production or the, uh, you know, he's not going to be feared as much, so there's going to be balls thrown his way, unlike when Bro was in there. But uh, overall, I'm very, very confident in the secondary. I think they're a solid group. Yeah, you know what? I'm okay with Roley getting balls thrown his way because he led the team in interceptions last year and wasn't a starter. Like, yep. he had five picks in 2019 and probably only started maybe half the games, if that. So test the man at your at your own peril because this guy's this guy's a ball hawk. He's going to take it away from you. Um, there's some depth with this group as well. Like we talked about, I, I mentioned that Mike Daly's filling in for Tundia Delicay, but when Adelike comes back, Daly goes back to his familiar role as a special teams demon, as a guy who obviously the, the team has uber confidence in to be a starter. Um, but he's not the only Canadian on the back end there. Uh, they also have a pair of rookies in Stavros Katsantonis, and I believe it's pronounced... Gene Ventos, um, Katzentonis was the Ticats' fourth-round pick in 2020 after an amazing career at UBC. He was a three-time All-Canadian in his four years there and had 18 interceptions in 40 career games, which earned him the nickname, and this is a pretty dope nickname, the Bakersfield Bandit. Uh, he was running with the number twos today at training camp, but I have a feeling this guy is going to contribute a lot on special teams and is going to be a fan favorite very, very quickly. Uh, Ventos was a sixth round pick of the Cats in 2020 and also went to UBC. This was the, we, I think we joked about calling us the, the Thundercats or the, the mm-hmm. uh, I believe that's what it was because it's uh, the UBC Thunderbirds and they have the Tiger Cats. I think we started calling them the Thundercats. Um, his stats aren't as impressive as his secondary mates from UBC, but this is a guy that will probably carve himself out a role on special teams. Uh, just seeing all of this Canadian depth, we've lost some Canadians. Uh, 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 oh my God, I'm, like Courtney Steven, Courtney Steven mm-hmm. retired this off season. So um, seeing seeing how the team has replenished that with Katzentonis and, and Ventos, and then obviously with Mike Daly and, and Tunde Delicay, that's a pretty good foursome for the for the safety spot, and some good Canadians to have that'll that'll contribute on special teams as well as play a role on defense at some point too. Yeah, absolutely. They just keep uh, they keep stockpiling the safety position, like the Canadian safeties. You know, we can go back all the way to Rob Hitchcock and. Uh, you know, they've had uh, pretty solid Canadians at safety for many years. So I, I expect that to c- continue with these new, new guys coming in as well. And, uh, you know, I can't say enough good things about Adele K. He's He's fast. He can get break up balls really quick. If he has to, he can get to a certain spot on the field quickly. Um, we, we've seen he can hit heavy. So, uh, you know, the, sec- or the, the safety position is, is definitely not one I'm worried about. No, and you replace him... Well, for however long he's out, with a guy like Mike Daly, who spent mm-hmm. the 2018 season as the team's 
starting safety and has just done whatever he's been asked of. You know what? Like no matter what role you give Mike Daly, he excels at it. So when Adelike comes back, he'll go back to being a demon on special teams. Until then, he'll go back and and be a player on uh, on defense. He had a nice pass breakup today. Again, I I I I feel a little mean bringing up the fact that I got to watch these guys perform today in front in front of you. Um, but yeah, he had a nice pass breakup on a, on a throw. I believe it was Evans to Braylon Addison, and, and Daly gets in there and knocks it down. So this is a guy in his seventh year that can still contribute and will contribute in a, in a big way for this team, whether it's on defense or on special teams. I'm, I'm with you, man. I don't have any sort of qualms or questions about uh, about this secondary. But the Bakersfield Bandit, man, what? that's a great nick. 18 picks in 40 games for a safety? That's incredible. Yeah, that is uh, unheard of, really. I mean, and... Uh... You know he's uh, he's an exciting prospect that we will probably see down the road be a starter. For sure, for sure. Uh, American depth also doesn't seem to be an issue with this team either, as they have ten CFL rookies in camp vying for a handful of roster spots. Three of those players are the uh, already mentioned Cameron Kelly, Brad Stewart, and Desmond Lawrence, who are going for the Sam spot. But there are some others on this list too that I'd like to touch on. Uh, Marco Myers, who spent time bouncing around the NFL in 2019 and 2018 was also in the XFL with the Seattle Dragons in 2020. He played 33 games at Southeastern University from uh, 2014 to 2017 and was all Sun Conference three times at both cornerback and returner. And today I saw him uh, crib a punt for a touchdown. It was uh, it was during – they were doing special teams. I don't I, – they did special teams a couple of times today, but uh, this was legit, a 12-on-12 out there, and he took it to the house. On special teams, it was really nice to see. Uh, Daniel Brown is another guy. Spent four years at Nevada, had 115 tackles, five picks and a touchdown in his time there. Channing Stribling, uh, who was on the Ticats practice roster for a few weeks in 2019, after spending time with the uh, Memphis Express of the AAF, where he played in all eight games there. Uh, He was bouncing around the NFL for a few seasons before that. He was on practice rosters for the Browns, the Colts, the Niners, and the Chargers. And he's a University of Michigan guy, which that's another big-time school that we're going to talk about there. He played 47 games, starting 18 of them. Uh, I'm, yeah, we're, t- we're talking about some big-time schools here for guys that are trying to crack this roster at the bottom of it, man. It's, it's incredible. Adonis mm-hmm. Davis played 41 games at Abilene Christian and had 146 tackles and 26 pass breakups and seven picks. And Thula Kelly is another former Fresno State Bulldog. Uh, he was there from 2015 to 2018, so he also spent time with Orlando Steinhauer there. He was he played 44 games and was a first-team All-Mountain West in 2018. He finished his college career with 128 tackles as a DB. He took two interceptions to the house on five picks. Like, man, it's the, the list keeps going on here, man. Donovan Olumba was, uh, was on the Dallas Cowboys practice roster for two seasons before he was in training camp with the Cleveland Browns last year. He's a small school product. He went to schools, I, one I'd never heard of, Alderson Barotis, and he also went to Portland State University. And lastly on this list is Reggie Cole, who was actually a draft pick in the XFL by the D.C. Defenders in the sixth round after spending four years at a school I'd also never heard of, the University of Mary Hardin Baylor. He uh, played in the Spring League this past uh, spring, uh, and he won the Mega Bowl Championship in June. Two days later, he signed by the Ticats. It's a long list of guys. It's an impressive list of guys based on based on their college pedigrees. Some guys have pro experience. Man, oh man, with how good the secondary already looks, and then you add these guys to the mix, 
it's a, it's an overabundance of talent on the Thai Cats at every single position group. But really, with the secondary, this is this is something else. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned you know a lot of college guys that all-star college guys that probably won't make this team. But then you know there's some AAF guys, some XFL guys, and you know I had people telling me that the XFL and the AAF is like there's way more talent there than the CFL, and I argued with them that uh, that's I don't think that's the case but you see a lot of these guys coming in and uh, most of the majority of these guys are not going to make CFL camp or CFL teams so um yeah we can put that to bed I think that the CFL talent is uh second to one like you said not uh second to two or second to three like these some of these spring leagues but uh yeah it's just it just goes to show if uh you know if any of our starters go down you know the guys behind them, while being rookies to the CFL, have tremendous pedigrees from college or from other pro sports leagues. Yeah, you don't play at the University of Michigan. You don't you don't play at these places without being good. You don't start 18 games for, for Jim Harbaugh at the University of Michigan if you can't play football. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We say it over and over again. And hopefully, you know, it'll pound into some of these people's heads that uh, not that any CFL haters will be listening to this podcast. No. But... Uh, um, you know, we try to do our, our best to get out there that the CFL talent is, is really, really good players. Yeah, it's a high caliber of player in this league, and anyone who thinks otherwise is deluding themselves. All right, Mike, let's close things out here by talking about what is often forgotten but is always important and something we always like to talk about, and that is special teams. Um, despite the release of Matthew White, the kicking jobs are still up for grabs with the team still deciding between American Taylor Bertolette and Canadians Gabriel Ferraro and Michael Domagala as the replacement for uh, the 2019 East Division All-Star Liram Hyrulahu. The team also has global punter Joel Whitford, who went to the University of Washington, another big school that we can talk about on this list. And I think he has a really good shot to make this squad as the team's global player. Uh, and now we're going to go back to what I saw today, Mike, and we're going to talk about the kicking position. I went into today... And, and we actually talked about this via text uh, to give people a little behind-the-scenes stuff. When uh, White was released, I said, oh, that leaves – I think that's just Canadians left. You're like, no, 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 they have an American kicker. And I was like, oh, yeah, you, and you named him off. And I was like, I forgot about him. Forget about him no more, Mike, because from what I saw today, I think he's the guy. Taylor Bertolette is going to be the guy that gets the kicking job. I was convinced that the Cats were going to go Canadian here. But he did all the field goal kicking. He did all the kickoff kicking. Uh, and Whitford did all the punting. So it really, really looks to me like this is going to be an American uh, global uh, tandem at kicker and punter with Bertolette doing the place kicking and kickoffs and Whitford doing the punting. Um, We don't normally see a lot of American kickers uh, unless they are exceptional, and usually they do all three jobs, but I think with the global player initiative being such a thing and and Whitford who – does a weird punt and the ball spins odd watching him do it today. It could be something that, that is to the cat's advantage in a rainy or windy game. Cause it, it kind of spins sideways almost. It's hmm. really weird. I can't, I don't know if I, if I'm describing it properly, it's just really, really weird looking, but how does it make you feel to think that the, based on what I saw today, and I could be wrong of course, but that the cats could be going American global at the two kicking spots. Well, you, you you always like to have a Canadian who can do all three jobs, but sometimes that's tough to find, right? So, um, you know, if Bertolette, Taylor Bertolette, sorry if I'm butchering your name, he's from Texas A&M, if, if he's the best Texas A&M, camp, another big school. Yeah, absolutely. 
Uh, if he, you know, if these two guys do the job, then, you know, do the job well, then I'll be happy with it. You know, like I said, you'd like to have a Canadian at that position, but, uh, if you can have a global player who, who punts well and, a and an American who, who kicks and makes, you know, almost every field goal, then, uh, I'll be happy with that. Yeah, for sure. The return game, Mike looks in great hands. Frankie Williams is still back there doing his thing. We know Brandon Banks will probably get some, uh, some snaps returning punts or missed field goals if Frankie ever needs a breather. Um, and we got some rookies. I mentioned Marco Myers. He was all-conference at uh, Southeastern University as a returner. And I said that uh, I saw him take one to the house on a really nice kick today. So he could provide some depth, whether he's on the practice roster and then has to has to take some time if they decide they don't want Williams doing it full-time. But uh, either way, Mike, the, uh, the, receiving, the returning game, that is, looks to be in pretty good hands. Uh, they have a, a bunch of other guys, too. I think I saw... Poppy White. I saw both Whites uh, take take uh, reps today. There, there's a lot of guys. I think Adonis Davis, who we talked about in the secondary. I think I saw him t- field some punts and kickoffs. It's a it's a pretty stacked group. And with Frankie Williams back there, reigning top uh, special teams player, you couldn't ask for anything better with Jeff Reinbold, you know, pulling the strings again. Yeah, and you mentioned the 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 interesting way um, the possible punter kick, yep. you know, I could see Jeff Reinbold, you know, using that to his oh, advantage in, for sure. in some way or form, because, you know, he's a, he's ma- a magician on uh, special teams drawing up those plays. Uh, and it's just great to have him as our special teams coordinator. Um, just throwing that out there. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, Frankie Williams, tremendous t- year. The last time he played on returns and coverage, usually the uh, kick returning is a, is a younger man's game. So who knows? Maybe Frankie, you know, take some time off from that. Maybe he focuses more on his secondary job and there's a new guy that comes in with, with top end speed or, um, you know, I'm not sure how that's going to play out, but, uh, you know, Brandon Banks, you know, he can still be effective on the missed field goals and stuff like that. So um, I think the depth in the return game is, is pretty darn good. So that's it for our deep dives, Mike. Now that we've covered this team from kind of top to tail, from quarterback all the way down to special teams, um, do you feel more confident, less confident, or is there no change in your confidence that this team will be the one to finally end the interminable Grey Cup drought? I'm still very confident. Um, I have some question marks, you know, the offensive line makes me a little bit nervous now that Van Zyl's a little dinged up, but, uh, and the strong side linebacker position is, is a question mark. You know, the, the question marks that were coming into camp, I still have, um, questions about but uh overall i'm very confident i think this is the best team in the east by far and i think that um we're near the top of the list in the overall in the league i think that you they're the bet well i know they're the they're the betting favorite to uh win the gray cup this year but um yeah i'm still very confident in this team that we're going to be in the gray cup this year and and we'll go from there i won't say a prediction that we're going to win it yet because i don't want to I don't want to jinx anything, but uh, I'm very, very confident in this team still. Yeah, uh, same here. Um, I think I'm actually more confident in the team after having researched all this stuff. Just seeing the the talent that won't make the squad just gives me even more confidence in the guys that will make the squad. And again, to to harp on it maybe one last time, being able to actually see it with my own two eyes today – there's some damn good football players that, like you said, will be on the street in, a, in about a week's time. So knowing that, seeing what I saw, this is going to be a pretty damn good football team in 2021. And if they 
don't win the Grey Cup. I don't say this often because I don't ever think the Ticats are really the favorites, but I will actually be pretty surprised if this team doesn't uh, end the season in Tim Hortons Field, hoisting the Grey Cup and ending ending the 21-year drought. I think these guys are that damn good. All right, well, I, I love the confidence. Maybe we should just end the show on that note. <laughs> well, before we go, I just would like to say that uh, doing these deep dives was fun, but next week we get to do what I think is our most fun and one of our most anti- anticipated episodes that we do every year. And that's our season preview show. So next week we'll be giving you all of our predictions for the upcoming season. We'll give you our standings, our player award picks, our great cup predictions. And we'll also get to discuss what the Ticats final roster looks like because final cuts are due to be done this upcoming Saturday by 10 p.m. Eastern. So if you and I, as we've done the last few weeks, uh, sit down to record this on a Saturday or a Sunday morning, we'll know exactly what this squad is going to look like heading into the first week of the season and uh, what surprising cuts from around the league we might see, and maybe some guys that the Ticats could pick up. So uh, definitely, as we're getting closer and closer, man, it, it's getting it's getting to feel even more real. So, uh, like, the season's here, man. It's so close you can kind of taste it. Getting that, I guess I, I guess there's one more one more time I'm going to get in than I went to practice today, Mike. But being at the stadium today just gets the juices flowing even more. But, man, how great does it, does it feel to know that we'll be seeing real, live, actual football in the not-too-distant future? Uh, it feels tremendous, and even even without the preseason games, you know, you know, might be a little slappy jalopy out there uh, with the football early on. But I don't, I don't, I really don't care. I'm I'm just gonna take it, and uh, I'll, I'll enjoy every single minute of it, uh, every single game on the on the opening weekend. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Yeah, football is uh, at least in this instance, Canadian football is gonna be a little like pizza. Even bad pizza is still pizza, and even if yeah. it is a little, like you said, sloppy. Uh, it's still Canadian football. It's been too damn long since we've we've cheered on this team. It is going to be so nice to get to do it again. It's going to be so nice to get to watch the CFL do its thing one more time. Once once again, back back where we should have been. Maybe not should have been a year ago, but I'm glad we're back now. And it's just, uh, man, it's just it just you just get pumped to to to, to know that uh, next week, Mike, we're going to be previewing an actual friggin' game for the first mm-hmm. time since November of 2019. That just feels really, really good to say. And, you know, the predictions this year will be even tougher than For the sure. previous years because we've had a year off. And, uh, you know, you just I was looking at the Western, the Eastern Conference, you know, I, I have a pretty good grasp on where my predictions are going to be in the standings. But uh, you look at that Western Conference and uh, that's going to be tough to uh to pick one through five there for sure. There's going to be a lot of tough predictions this year. Yeah, really, really good football team in the West is not going to make the playoffs. Maybe two, mm-hmm. depending on if uh, you believe in the Argos. But uh, that is for next week. Uh, for this week, that is all. Uh, that was Pod I'm Josh Smith. And I'm Mike Graham. Eat them raw. Eat them raw.